Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. Lake Simcoe is the largest lake in southern Ontario outside of the Great Lakes and the fourth largest one completely within the provincial boundaries. With growing cities such as Barrie, Aurelia and Innisfil on its shores, it's long been home to First Nations communities beloved as part of cottage country and vital for the rich farming lands all around it. Needless to say, that adds up to pressure. With us now on how well it's holding up, let's welcome... Jonathan Scott, Councillor for Ward 2 for the Town of Bradford, West Gillenbury. Dave Neeson, Councillor, Ward 3 for the Town of Georgina. Claire Malcolmson, Executive Director of the Rescue Lake Simcoe Coalition. And Margaret Prophet, Executive Director of the Simcoe County Greenbelt Coalition. Hi to everyone. Thanks so much for coming in. I know you all came from far, and it's <laughs> far nice far. to have you in the studio. And Jonathan, um, give me a slap on the wrist, because I don't think I said West Gwillenberry correctly. You got it right the second time. I did. <laughs> it's always the second time. Uh, but thanks so much for being here. Lots to get into. Before we start our discussion, I just wanted to uh, go through some facts and figures of what Lake Simcoe means. Here's a map of Lake Simcoe with the communities of Aurelia, Barry, Innisfil, Bradford West Gwillenbury, that's Jonathan's ward, Georgina, that's Dave's ward, Beaverton, and Georgina Island in the lake itself. And here are some numbers about the lake according to the Lake Simcoe Region Conservation Authority. It is 722 square kilometers, 20 municipal boundaries, home to more than 450,000 people, 24 conservation areas. Before we talk about some of the challenges that are facing Lake Simcoe, I wanted to start with why you became interested in the issue. I'll start with you, Dave. Certainly, yeah. I mean, um, listen, for the town of Georgina and, and all of our residents, I mean, Lake Simcoe really is our, it's our identity. I mean, it's our, uh, it's our drinking water. It's our recreational uses year-round. You know, we're the ice fishing capital of Ontario, as an example. And so, you know, whether it's uh, wintertime, we're out on the lake ice fishing and certainly a, a large tourist attraction as well in that regard. Um, or whether it's in the summer, you know, going swimming, going boating, uh, etc. So uh, Lake Simcoe really is our, uh, is our identity. And I also have to add, um, you know, in terms of, um, um, you know, population of the lake is also, uh, uh, Lake Simcoe is also uh, uh, home to First Nations since time immemorial. And so um, Georgian Island First Nation is also our, our good friends and neighbours and uh, we're very proud of that. It sounds like a truly magical place. Claire, what about you? Well, a lot of what Dave said I would echo as well. Um, for me, I mean, my, my family started cottaging in Innisfil in 1889. Wow. And so for wow. me, you know, Lake Simcoe is sort of the environment that I studied up close, you know, crawling on my belly, uh, <laughs> doing, you know, kids games in the woods and stuff like that and swimming and learning to sail and canoe. Uh, so that for me, you know, is a real legacy of sort of stewardship, land stewardship, um, taking care and, and seeing there how much work goes into having to to take care of the environment, take care of a healthy forest. Uh, I became really curious about what was going on at the lake. I could observe changes and no one around me could really explain what was happening. And the conservation authority had some information. And so I started to explore and I ended up creating a program and it kind of launched my career. You said something that I find fascinating. Uh, what do you mean by stewardship? 
Well, um, you know, the First Nations actually were stewarding the lands that they lived on in North America, of course, for time immemorial. And so we learned from them that you have to take care of your forests. You've got to uh, make sure that the invasive species, for example, are removed. You have to, you know, help support the right the right species of trees and so on. It's sort of easier to understand in a forest, but in the in the lake itself, um, there's a lot of work that goes into protecting uh, the species that are those keystone species that reflect to us how the lake is doing. Mm -hmm. At Lake Simcoe, that's the lake trout and whitefish. Those are the, the centerpiece of our uh, of the tourism around the lake, really. and So, so it's not we, just about enjoying it, but also taking ownership and yeah. responsibility to take care of it. That's right. Uh, what about you, Margaret? Well, again, similar to Dave and Claire, uh, once you're in Simcoe County, you're going to be affiliated or have some affinity to a body of water, whether it be Wasaga Beach or Minnesota Wetlands or Nottawasaga River, Lake Simcoe. And um, so... As when our coalition formed in 2017, we started off with really being concerned about water writ large in the in the region, and started to look into what was happening to Lake Simcoe as one of the watersheds. And the Intergovernmental Action Plan in 2006 said basically, you know, Lake Simcoe isn't doing great because of urbanization and growth. And to the point where the scientists came out saying, oh, well, you know, we have to do something very significant because the aquaculture of the watersheds are at risk. So that actually really started um, delving more into if we have these kind of warnings, what are we doing? So we delved more into what's happening in Lake Simcoe and mm. what's happening to these watersheds. Because at the end of it, it's for the people around this panel and the people that we represent, it's really not just about water. There are livelihoods and economies and families that their futures depend on the health of that lake. It's not just a policy for us. I, I want to go to Jonathan next, but you said something that maybe not everyone is familiar with. What is a watershed? So a watershed is um, where it's, it's an interconnected system of streams and wetlands and forests and aquifers, all these things that work together almost like a family uh, to make sure that water flows and it's clean and accessible. Um, so it's, it's little pieces in a toolbox, if you will, that all goes together. Mm. And what about you, Jonathan? Well, growing up in Bradford West Bloomberg, we're the carrot capital of Canada. The Holland Marsh is known for its fertile soil. And I've always had an interest in environmental activism. One of the first things I did in high school was to demand that our MP prioritize climate change. And from university, working in the provincial government, working in pri the private sector for environmental NGOs, I'd, I'd always had that passion for environmental conservation stewardship and really putting the climate crisis squarely in public policy. So when I was elected about two and a half years ago, and my ward contains most of the Holland River flowing into Lake Simcoe and a portion of the Holland Marsh, mm -hmm. I really wanted to try to find ways practically for all levels of government to work with activists and conservation authorities to protect the lake, protect the Holland River, protect the Holland Marsh. You know, our farmers steward the land themselves too, and they've done a fantastic job on this, but it's governments that have let the growth happen in our region without the infrastructure, especially the environmental infrastructure that's needed to mitigate the impacts of that growth. And as municipalities, we're trying to densify and grow up near our growth train rather than out. But the sprawl has been happening for the past quarter century, and we have to do something about it. We're going to come back to that. Uh, but you mentioned that, you know, you grew up in that um, region and yeah. uh, you're committed to it in a way that I think a lot of us may be not familiar with. Uh, but if Lake, you know, um, do you think that uh, obviously Lake Simcoe is not one of the five Great Lakes, 
but is it just as important? Yeah, it is. And I, I've even heard people call it the Little Great Lake because mm -hmm. it, it is such a large lake in the middle of central Ontario. You were right when you said it's sort of the start of cottage country. And so this part of the province, we, as, as Dave was saying, we live on our lakes year-round and enjoy them. And our economies are affiliated with them, if not based on our, our water. And whether it's the individual rivers, the lake itself, the marsh, uh, we have a lot to lose if we don't protect our watersheds. Margaret, is it just as important as the Great Lakes? Absolutely. I mean, it is a sense of place, and I would argue that not only is Lake Simcoe important, but all of the, the tributaries that feed into it, all the rivers and streams, those are important to people, right? All of the, when you go into an area, you probably have places around your home that you're like, this is really important to me. So we, we kind of put this hierarchy of like, well, if it's big enough, then it's important, but they're all important. And Lake Simcoe, of course, being like, like Jonathan said, is a keystone. It supports almost a half a billion dollar uh, recreational um, economy a year. So it is important, but I would argue that you know, all of these places that are meaningful to people that provide drinking water are important. Well, when we talk about challenges, uh, what does having a healthy Lake Simcoe mean for the surrounding communities, Dave? Um, well, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, access to clean water is important. Um, you know, it's important to point out our First Nations still doesn't have access to it. And I mean, you know, it's one of the most Southern uh, First Nations there is. And so, you know, again, going back to the, the original point of, um, you know, protecting source, source point water throughout the throughout the watershed, throughout the streams, throughout the river systems, the groundwater, the aquifers, et cetera, all of which feeding into the lake. I mean, it's important that we protect them not only in, in you know, in regard to, you know, phosphorus loading and salt pollution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, also there's contaminated sites throughout the watershed. And so, you know, these are things that we need to look towards uh, other levels of government that uh, Councillor Scott and I and certainly uh, Margaret and Claire have all worked in a collaborative fashion uh, in a nonpartisan sense to get other upper level levels of government you know, to show that commitment because Lake Simcoe is important, you know, for all the reasons that my colleagues here have, have pointed out. And so, um, but I think bearing in, in mind over and atop the recreational and the tourism uh, aspects of the lake, which are important. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, uh, Mayor Quirk, our mayor in the town of Georgina, always point out it's our identity. But uh, it's important to note that it's our, our source of drinking water. Yeah. Right. And so that's uh, water is life, as the saying goes. And mm -hmm. so... Um, you know, without that access to clean drinking water, you know, none of the, the watershed municipalities exist, period. You mentioned the collaboration and this being a nonpartisan issue. I want to come back to that, but I sure. wanted to get more, a better understanding of what other challenges are facing Lake Simcoe. Claire? Right, so um, most of the viewers, I think, would be familiar with Lake Erie and the many, many decades that we have been trying to save Lake Erie. Oh, Lake Erie's better. Oh, Lake Erie's not better. We so, actually had a whole week on it. Right? So <laughs> Lake Simcoe is very similar um, sort of in terms of the shape of the lake, the fact that they're relatively shallow, and the fact that they've lost a lot of wetlands, both lakes, and that there's a lot of farming in the area. So uh, loss of natural heritage over time, those are forests and wetlands, uh, lots of phosphorus pollution. So this is in fertilizers. It's also in soil. It's in manure. It's in sewage, septic systems. Uh, it also falls from the sky <laughs> because um, whenever you strip a site bare for farming or for development and you leave it, especially if you leave it for a long time, the wind whips up that dirt and it, it becomes airborne. And so about 30% of the phosphorus loads mm -hmm. that affect Lake Simcoe come from the air. So uh, what are the factors that contribute to these things? 
uh, of course, farming. Development, though, is the one that I think we ought to focus quite a lot on. And that is because it is the growing impact on the lake. Like, farming is relatively stable. All the other sort of stressors, invasive species, you know, they do come and go. They're a factor. Um, but the development is the thing that we can definitely control. Um, and, of course, climate change. We can't forget climate change. These things interact with each other to create conditions that uh, warm up the water, fertilize plants, uh, and those conditions combine often to lower the amount of available oxygen for the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use the fish as that keystone, like, how are you doing? And, and the fish are not doing as well as they should be. And so we need to be paying attention to the sources of pollution that affect those conditions. Jonathan? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I often say growth is the original sin of a lot of these stressors because the phosphorus runoff in particular is uh, causing the lake to have lower oxygen levels. The plant life, you think a fertilizer is inherently a good thing for plants, but if you have too much of a good thing, it's causing stress to the lake. So we've uh, been working collaboratively with municipalities across the watershed to convince the federal and provincial government to build a Lake Simcoe phosphorus recycling facility that will take some of the phosphorus out of the lake, secured $40 million in federal and provincial funding to deliver it. We now wanna see that funding put into action and shovels in the ground to deliver the facility. Likewise, we've been trying to find a way to, uh, one of the the bright spots in the Harper government's environmental record was something called the Lake Simcoe Cleanup Fund, but it expired in 2018. And the Trudeau Liberals are proposing to bring in a freshwater action fund of 650 million. Just this week, they announced the agency that would administer it, but we wanna see that money flowing into the lake. We've had almost five years without the fund in place and those environmental restoration projects that could be being funded through that money are so needed. I mean, Claire mentioned agriculture. We make our farmers do a lot of phosphorus offsetting on the farm, but we don't necessarily make the governments do the same thing. Mm. Um, Dave, I saw you nodding. Oh, yeah, just I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just agreeing with uh, with Councillor Scott. But yeah, I mean, a lot of work has gone into sort of um, you know, the four of us actually collectively around this table sort of lobbying, um, you know, all of the, the watershed municipalities to sort of get on board and call on the various um, levels of government, whether it was the, the province and the Fed combined with respect to the, um, uh, the phosphorus recycling plant or whether it was sort of the groundswell that we worked on uh, to call on the Trudeau Liberals to deliver on a freshwater action fund for which uh, John had sort of pointed out. But, um, you know, it's sort of um, perhaps a little bit novel uh, in the in the watershed to, for uh, for municipalities to work together in this way, but it's been really successful with uh, you know the groundswell from citizens and you know ENGOs, uh, municipal governments, conservation authority, etc. Yeah. You say it's novel uh, for the municipalities to work together. I think it's refreshing to see yeah. people <laughs> yeah. across uh, political parties work in this way because, as you mentioned from the very beginning, this is about sort of stewardship, right? Mm-hmm. It's the one yeah. area where the Conservatives want the Liberals to spend more money. It's great. It's nonpartisan in that sense. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to be a little blunt with it, too. All the things that Claire and Jonathan and, and Dave mentioned is true. But to really cut through, the, the greatest um, threat to Lake Simcoe is political will, the lack of political yeah. will at the mm-hmm. higher levels and the provincial levels. So, you know, I am starting to feel there's a lot of performative politics with, we love Lake Simcoe, we're gonna put on our campaign materials, we're gonna wrap ourselves in that flag when we go to farmers markets, and um, the hypocrisy of it, especially with, with this particular provincial government, of we love Lake Simcoe, we're gonna make sure that it's protected, and at the same time, drive highways uh, through its watershed, at the same time, remove endangered species protection, at the same time, break greenbelt promises and cut out those, those 
um, supportive things, cut out uh, protections for wetlands. These things are exactly opposite of what the science says we need to do. We have a climate crisis that's here and it's going to be getting worse. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, unless the feds and the, the provincial MPPs stop feeling like it's just a vote getter, it's something just to make it seem like we really care, but then follow up with policies that are absolutely destructive, then it doesn't really, it, 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 I'm just tired of the hollowness of it all. Well, we will, Jonathan, not, we yeah. will not applaud that kind of behavior. Yeah. So I, I just want I'm to- I'm going to come to Jonathan after that. But okay. Uh, go ahead. I want to point out what the province has to do. So yes. the province passed in 2008 the Lake Simcoe Protection Plan. This is the best watershed-based legislation in Canada. I mean, the Great Lakes, some of the Great Lakes Protection Act is based on this. So we have the best, to Margaret's point, this has to be delivered. You have to pay attention. You've got to do the science. You've got to implement. You have to make tough decisions, mm -hmm. such as we're not going to let you build here because there's no sewage capacity, right? Or you're going to have to really increase the amount of uh, water conservation that you do if you want to build here. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of very innovative tools in this Lake Simcoe Protection Plan that make growth pay for growth. And arguably, this is what we should be doing across southern Ontario to mitigate the impacts of growth. So there are programs that reduce the amount of stormwater that would flow quickly off a site uh, for new development. There are ways to get money from developers if their projects do contribute phosphorus pollution to the Lake Simcoe watershed. And unfortunately, those are two programs that the government of Ontario has started to mess with. They're some of the most interesting, innovative, and important pieces of it. So it's been really frustrating for us to not be able to have much dialogue with the provincial government about this very important lake and the implementation of its plan. Uh, we want greater access to decision makers and if that was happening, you might not see this really interesting partnership that we have here with, with our municipal politicians. But we will work with anybody who will work with us. <laughs> and that's why we're working with these guys. And we're all together trying to get the province to do the homework that's written right here. Jonathan, I wanted to just give you um, an opportunity to respond because how do you balance that need for the infrastructure like the Bradford Bypass with development and also protecting the environment? Well, I think in part by following the Lakes and Co. Protection Plan. And if you're going to do any sort of development, it has to be sustainable development. And whether that means offsets or mitigation, doing things differently, scrutinizing things properly, uh, I, I don't want to say any individual thing is inherently bad. It has to be done properly. And so whether, whether we agree or disagree on a particular piece of infrastructure, the process actually matters. And the public confidence in that process is paramount as well. I didn't want to put you on the no, spot, but I think, I think you gave me an answer. <laughs> but I'll take what you said. Uh, Dave? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can add um, uh, really to what the group has said is, yeah, it, it's truly about the process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our council was pretty clear, um, I believe, back in 2020, 2021, somewhere in around there, um, you know, where we, we asked the, um, you know, the provincial government quite clearly by way of resolution, which was unanimous, was, you know, to follow the existing policies that are on the books and, um, and go through the process and, and voluntarily, in fact, involve the Conservation Authority uh, as an oversight body. And so, um, you know, we've been pretty clear uh, in the town is that, you know, we understand the need and we live it every day with respect to east-west connections. It can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's about the process. And so, 
you know, um, I guess what everyone here would agree upon is if you're going to do it, you need to do it properly. You need to respect the natural environment. And, you know, that may take all sorts of different forms. But to, to Jonathan's point is that, you know, the public has to have confidence in that, um, in that process. Um, is it about the process, Margaret? Well, I think I'll just backtrack a little bit that the public should have zero public confidence in this process. I mean, we're dealing with uh, studies that are over 30 years old. They changed the Environmental Assessment Act to streamline it, which basically renders it meaningless to there's very little legislative uh, responsibilities that they have to do once they find out there's problems. Lake Simcoe isn't being studied. Cumulative impacts to the climate are not being studied. We have uh, air pollution. You know, when you asked Jonathan the question of is it a benefit, I think benefit did a lot of heavy lifting in that sense because what is the benefit when you increase air pollution where you're having children and older people with more Alzheimer's and asthma and lung-related diseases <coughs> because of the proximity to the highway? What is the benefit of a two to four billion dollar highway that'll be one of the most most expensive highways uh, that Ontario has built in recent history. What is the benefit of pouring an, an, an enormous amount of salt into the headwaters of Lake Simcoe, which supports a regional economic tourism? There, there really is not a lot of benefit. And what we have seen is this government continues to push through. Um, they dole out the misinformation and at the same time, conveniently roll out the we love the green belt, we love the lake, we care about our environment, and intentionally change policies and laws to make it so they don't have to follow their own rules. They are writing the rules of the test, they're writing the test, they're answering the test, they're marking the test. What kind of process is that? In fairness, I just want to point out that um, the government was re-elected in part because they said that they would be uh, building more infrastructure, more highways. I just thought I should just mention that. Um, Claire, you brought us some pictures of Lake Simcoe. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us? I'm going to bring them up and you can tell us what it is that we're looking at. Oh my gosh. This is farmland. This is Innisfil. Um, and right behind that line of trees is a subdivision that has was approved uh, more than 10 years ago. So it's this kind of landscape where we grow food, uh, where water can sink through the soil, recharge our groundwater and our aquifers. Uh, this is this is really important part of the landscape, and it's just interesting how I think it it hides the fact that now there's a subdivision going in right behind. We have another one too over there. Yeah, this is just um, a pretty naturalized shoreline with uh, with a bit of an awkward old piece of concrete on the shore. My son uh, exploring the shore. So this is really just. You know, people use the lake in all sorts of uh, fun and interesting ways. Oh, this is a nasty one. This is basically, this is what would happen if we do not take care of Lake Simcoe. This is actually at Lake Simcoe. This is duckweed in a little inlet uh, in the Georgina area somewhere about 15 years ago. And so this is what happens when you have too much fertilizer, mm -hmm. not enough water flow, uh, the weeds and aquatic plants just grow like crazy, and it chokes out other other life. And so, and we have a final picture here. Oh yeah, well this is Big Bay Point. This was supposed to be good for the lake, right? <laughs> uh, so from your laugh, from this your is <laughs> you're not. It's an inside joke. <laughs> yeah. So this is Big Bay Point now, Friday Harbor, um, massive development. I mean, you can just see the scale of something like this. Like there mm. were there were Blanding's turtles in here. Uh, this is the kind of development that is a threat to the integrity of the natural systems that have to stay connected throughout the watershed. Um, I do want to point out 
One thing that the lake absolutely needs is natural heritage protection. So like the rest of Ontario, um, we have provincial policies that protect significant forests, provincially significant wetlands. We are concerned that the government might weaken those policies and that would be disastrous for Lake Simcoe and for the rest of Southern Ontario. You know, we've lost something like 90% of the original wetlands in the very Southern part of, of, uh, of Ontario and Lake Erie area, you can see what that does, right? So we need to protect the natural heritage. Um, that helps filter pollutants. It helps store stormwater. You know, we have to address what climate change is bringing to us. And Lake Simcoe is really just um, a reflection of what is coming mm -hmm. to other places. It is the poster child for what we have to do to take care of our environment. If we want to have good, clean water for recreation, boating, drinking, all the life processes for all the critters and fish that live in the lake. Um, Who has jurisdiction over Lake Simcoe? What, oh, well, <laughs> well, no, Ontario. I mean, it should be much easier to manage than the Great Lakes because it's entirely within Ontario. Ontario was responsible for administering the Lake Simcoe Protection Act and plan, but Conservation Authority, well, less now because the province has gutted a lot of those responsibilities, but the Conservation Authority has quite a lot of responsibility. So do the municipalities, and so do residents and, and citizen groups like ours. Jonathan? Well, it's funny you ask who has jurisdiction over the lake, because I've actually heard municipalities, municipal leaders argue, well, I don't have jurisdiction over that precisely. But we all do, every level of government, and it has to work collaboratively. And our region is so rapidly growing, and it's not going to stop. We are the region, more than most, where they are looking to put a lot of the housing uh, to deal with the housing affordability crisis. But we have to do it in a smart and sustainable way not more sprawl, which is what has happened for the last quarter century. And so we can talk about all the infrastructure that hasn't been kept up. We still don't have a, a twin GO train to deliver regional express rail in and out of the city. I think Margaret came down on the GO train today and it took her two hours to get to the middle of Toronto. That should be much easier. So mm -hmm. it, we, we need all levels of government. Dave and I have spoken to some initiatives that we've done, but it has to be much more macro than that because I'm either the fastest growing municipality in the province in Bradford. And if it's not us that year, it's our neighbors in East Columbia. So that responsibility to follow the Lake Simcoe Protection Plan, respect the role of conservation authorities, work with the development community to do things properly, especially around density, especially around transit, those are some of the really macro solutions we need to explore. And it has a ripple effect, no pun intended, on everything else we're talking about. If you talk about traffic congestion versus the environment, that's a false choice because what we actually have to talk about is how do you have development done in a sustainable way so people have places to live, but we're not at the same time compromising our drinking water or compromising our natural habitat that holds it all and is where we all live at the end of the day. There seems to be a disconnect from people who live in the GTA to what's happening outside of the GTA. Is there a little bit of frustration for you? Well, yes, especially in Bradford, because we're sort of the northernmost municipality in the GTA and the southernmost in South Simcoe. We've been a suburb for the past 15 years or more uh, and, and managing how that works within a county that's much more rural, agricultural, and even cottage country is its own set of challenges. But I, I think what I would just say to, to your question around how is this perceived from Toronto versus how is this perceived from Lake Simcoe, we see the results right away. Claire showed a photo of a beautiful farm with a subdivision behind it. People don't necessarily like that. It's not nimbyism so much as it is a desire to see growth happen properly whether that's 
having transportation networks, whether that's having environmental respect and mitigation, or even whether that's having the community centers and the good cultural places you need. We're a region going, growing so fast that we have to be able to manage it. And it is gonna take all levels of government. It's also gonna take activists reminding levels of government when we get it wrong. We've got 30 seconds. I'm gonna give it to you, Margaret. What would you like the federal and provincial governments to do in terms of investment? Uh, I would like to see to reestablish the investments that they had promised uh, with the phosphorus reduction, but I want them to actually do the jobs that they're supposed to be doing, which is write the good policy based on science, don't corner cut, Make sure that you're supporting people so that we have a clean lake and a livable climate for the future. What we see now is abdication of responsibility, and that's just not going to cut it. We reached out to the government because we were talking about this, and we received uh, a statement from the Office of the Ministry of Transportation. Just a, a reminder, this is just partial uh, what the statement sure. was. Uh, the government says, Ontario's population is growing rapidly and we need new infrastructure to keep our people and goods moving while strengthening our economy. The Bradford Bypass is being built in accordance with Ontario's robust environmental assessment EA process. We are currently undertaking work to update the original EA for the project, which includes 16 environmental studies. Despite attempts from our opponents to maintain the status quo, our government is building critical transportation infrastructure, including the Bradford Bypass, which communities of Simcoe County and York Region overwhelmingly support. I would like to get a reaction from all of you. Dave, I'll start with you. Certainly. I mean, um, nothing new there, um, you know, from my perspective with respect to the statement. But look, I mean... Um, you know, they talk about updating the, uh, the EAs and, and the appropriate studies. And so, I mean, I, that's good. That's something that our council had very specifically asked for. Um, you know, I hope that uh, come the future, they also involve voluntarily involve the Conservation Authority with respect to uh, oversight. That's something as well our, uh, our council's asked for. But look, at the end of the day, um, you know, I understand they have a mandate and they were elected, you know, in part based upon the bypass. And so at some level, um, you know, we recognize from the East-West perspective in Georgina is, is we, do, uh, we do have a bit of a a challenge there without um, without some sort of additional connection to the Trans-Canada from the 404, so. Margaret? Uh, well, I think it's interesting that the status quo, um, no one here on this panel is gonna say that we don't need infrastructure, that we don't need to move people, and we don't need houses, but this government only knows how to think in gray and remove green, and so we want to see transit, we wanna see those places built that are vibrant, that help both of their communities. And as far as maintaining the status quo, I mean, frankly, they are building from the playbook of the 1950s of how you build communities. You pave over this and you build some houses in a subdivision, you cut out the farms. This, that is the status quo. They are the harbingers of status quo. We are the ones saying, look, we've improved technology. Communities and other jurisdictions have gone past this 50, 70 year experiment of suburbia. Uh, we're trying to actually bring you into the future, not, in, not drag you from the past here. Unclear. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the focus of questions about Lake Simcoe are a defense of a sprawl agenda, basically, um, which just underscores to me that there's a real disconnect with this provincial government about what is actually needed to protect our environment. And so, as Margaret and, um, and Dave have said, you know, we need to build our communities in a way that is more dense and sustainable. It also has the added benefit of providing affordable housing. And we're in an affordable housing crisis right now, right? So let's do things that have multiple benefits and stop wasting money on projects like the Bradford Bypass that are going to harm Lake Simcoe so that we can shovel more money into saving it. Like, I just want us to 
make sustainable decisions. Jonathan. Well, my community certainly recognizes the need for an east-west artery across our region. That had been proposed over 40 years ago. The exact shape that it takes, I think, always needs to be studied and scrutinized, and the process needs to be transparent. I work quite closely with the Minister of Transportation. She happens to be our MPP on a lot of files. And so in order to deliver the infrastructure that we need to deal with our traffic problem, to Margaret's point, it also has to include transit. We have a GO train station right in the middle of my ward. My ward is also the eye of the storm for all the regional traffic that currently treats my downtown like a de facto highway. So to me, it has to be all done, all the growth, all development, all the environmental impacts in a sustainable, transparent, and rational way. But at the end of the day, ours is a region that's grown exponentially. When I left town for university, we were 14,000. When I came back, we were 45,000. We have to do these things in a coordinated way. And that also means having the environment front and center and making sure that for anything, if there is an impact, there has to be an offset to compensate. Thank you all for coming in to Toronto uh, all this way. We really appreciate your time and expertise and helping us understand this issue. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Great. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.